great people are ordinary people who follow Jesus. Let's recap what we've learned about Peter, the fisherman disciple, so far. Peter was a sinful man, but Jesus still called him. Peter was a family man who invited people into God's family. Peter was an obedient man who walked with Jesus. Peter was a blessed man because he recognized Jesus. Peter was a selfish man who chose to follow God. Peter was a terrified man who found clarity in Jesus. Today we'll see Peter was a fighting man who wasn't prepared to fight. What we see of Peter today reminds me of the poem Come Skating by Shel Silverstein, which goes, They said, come skating. They said, it's so nice. They said, come skating. I'd done it twice. They said, come skating. It sounded nice. I wore roller. They meant ice. Peter was all ready for the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. But he seems to be unprepared for the arrest of Jesus. He thinks he's ready, but Peter has been preparing for the wrong fight. I think one of the most frustrating and disheartening situations that can happen to a person is to be entirely prepared for the wrong event. Maybe I looked at my calendar incorrectly, or I didn't read an assignment, <coughs> excuse me, an assignment correctly. I believe something similar has happened to the followers of Jesus in the past and still happens today, especially as it relates to fighting. Disciples of Jesus sometimes prepare for and fight the wrong fight. Historically, the Spanish Inquisition, the Crusades, opposing scientists like Galileo Galilei who showed with math that the earth orbits the sun instead of the sun orbiting the earth, and executing William Tyndale for daring to translate the Bible into the common language of the people. Those are all instances of followers of Jesus preparing and fighting the wrong battle. We'll have to see if history proves me right or wrong, but in my opinion, um, it's right now we're seeing the evangelical right Christian nationalism is preparing for and fighting the wrong fight. I'm not saying that Christians shouldn't take a stand for moral issues, but I see people claiming to be followers of Jesus equating political party loyalty with loyalty to Jesus. And a similar thing is true on the left side of the political spectrum in the United States, where people claim to be followers of Jesus, but make personal or cultural opinions as or more important than what Scripture actually says. The United States Church is fighting culture wars and people instead of the fight that Jesus calls us to. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, against spiritual forces in the heavens. This is the same battle that Jesus' first disciples had in Luke 10, 1 and 2 and 17 and 18. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him in, in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Then verse 17, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He said to them, I 
watch Satan fall from heaven like lightning. The fight Jesus calls his disciples to is a spiritual battle of saving people, not a physical or political battle that hurts people. But followers of Jesus have been trying to figure this out from the beginning. Today we'll see Peter, an ordinary fisherman disciple, trying to figure this out. We're going to learn from Peter's mistakes and properly prepare for the fight. Our passage today is Matthew 26, 36-53. That's a long passage, so we're going to read it in sections as we go through today's lesson. First, Matthew 26, 26-44. Or excuse me, 36-44. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking Peter... Taking along Peter and the other two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, So couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if you cannot pass, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. To prepare for the fight, I watch instead of sleep. This is the night Jesus is going to be arrested, and Jesus knows it's coming. After the Passover meal, Jesus takes his disciples to the Gethsemane Olive Orchard. He has most of the disciples sit down in one area, and then Jesus takes Peter, James, and John aside, away from the others. Jesus expresses his troubling emotions at what is about to happen, And he asks these three friends to keep watch while he prays. This simple request is loaded with actions for these three men. I believe Jesus wants these leaders to keep watch over the other disciples. Make sure they stay together and don't come to harm. Jesus also wants them to keep watch over him. Jesus is going to be in deep prayer. So he's saying, guys, watch my back. Jesus wants them to be on the lookout. Judas is coming with the temple guard, so keep a lookout so they don't take us by surprise. And Jesus specifically says, I want you guys to be praying with me. Jesus asked Peter to pray and be a lookout. And Peter fails at both. He keeps falling asleep. Well, it's nighttime, and they are full from eating the Passover meal. This is like trying to stay up late after Thanksgiving dinner. Jesus wakes them up the first time and says, So, you couldn't stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. They couldn't even make it one hour. But Jesus wakes Peter up so that he can watch out for Judas and watch out for his own temptation. This is a spiritual battle. Jesus is being moved, excuse me, Judas is being moved by Satan. And Jesus warned Peter at dinner that he will be tempted to deny he knows Jesus. 
Jesus has also told Peter that he will fail at that temptation. But he's giving Peter this time to have a chance at getting through it. Instead, the disciples keep falling asleep. Three times Jesus wakes them up. Peter is resting before the fight. And that's a good plan for a physical fight. I don't go out and run five hard miles the day before a 5K race. The day before the race, I go for a walk and go to bed early. Sleep is good for a physical fight, not necessarily for a spiritual fight. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The fight is spiritual, but Peter is resting his body. Peter's preparing for the wrong fight, and that's not what I want to do. Oswald Chambers says, Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. I understand what he's driving at, saying not to forget the importance of prayer, but I would tweak his quote to say that prayer is not the only greater work. Prayer has importance in terms of sequence, not in terms of greater value. The fight is spiritual and mental, so prayer prepares me to overcome the desires and weaknesses of my flesh, to be aware of who the enemy really is, and not to be caught unprepared. The greater work of prayer prepares me for other greater works. This is practically seen in the sequence for becoming a disciple-making community, where my first step is praying for my non-Christian friends, but it's not the only step. As part of the armor of God, preparation for a spiritual fight, Ephesians 6.18 says, Pray at all times in the Spirit, and with every prayer and request, stay alert, and with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Watch instead of sleep. I watch out for myself and keep watch for other followers of Jesus. That's how I properly prepare for the fight. Let's continue. Matthew 26, 45 through 51. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. A large mob with swords and clubs was with him from the chief priests and elders of the people. His betrayer had given them a sign. The one I kiss, he's the one, arrest him. So immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Friend, Jesus asked him, Why have you come? Then they came up, took hold of Jesus, and arrested him. At that moment, one of those with Jesus reached out his hand and drew his sword. He struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. Then Jesus told him, Put your sword back in its place, because all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. To prepare for the fight, I watch instead of sleep, and I observe instead of react. When Jesus comes back to the disciples for the third time, he tells them the preparation time is over. Judas is here. This is going down right now. So get up. Before this moment, they could sit and keep watch. Now they have to get up, which means paying attention to what's going on. Let's pay attention ourselves to what's going on in the story. A crowd has come to arrest Jesus, and they are armed with clubs and swords. Judas is leading them, and Jesus allows Judas to come close, kiss him, and Jesus calls Judas friend. Jesus then begins asking questions. 
In Matthew, he questions Judas, giving him the opportunity perhaps to confess. In other gospel accounts, we read that Jesus questions the whole crowd. Who have you come for? While Jesus is calmly asking questions, Peter is attacking. Peter pulls out a sword and takes a swing at a guy's head, lopping off the man's ear. Jesus, will read, will warn Peter that this physical fighting reaction is putting him on the path of dying. If we are not observant, we see that Jesus, or if we are observant, we see that Jesus wants Peter to live. It was Jesus that told the disciples they could bring two swords to Gethsemane. Jesus especially said two is enough. But why would two be enough? I think because Jesus wasn't looking for a physical fight. Remember, the, cl- the crowd came with clubs and swords. If they see the disciples have a couple of swords and it's nighttime, they'll think twice about attacking or arresting all the disciples. Judas and the temple guard don't know how many weapons the disciples have. So they would say, we're just here for Jesus, because they don't want to get hurt either. In John 18, 4 through 11, Jesus says to the crowd, I am, identifying himself as the person they are looking for and as God. And this literally stuns them to the ground, and he tells them, let the others go. Jesus is making a way of escape for the disciples because he wants them to live. If Peter was being observant, he might have figured that out. But instead, he's reacting. Jesus never gives the command, attack! But Peter is going to physically fight his way out of this. He is fighting people instead of the spiritual enemy. Peter's motto seems to be like Cobra Kai from the Karate Kid. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. For a physical fight, striking first is a good strategy. But that's not necessarily correct for a spiritual fight. Being watchful and observant doesn't mean I move as slow as a turtle or a sloth or I don't act at all. Instead, it means when I act, I act appropriately. There's a balance here. There's no way I can always know exactly the right thing to do and how it will turn out, no matter how long I sit and think about it. But I also don't just sit frozen because there's a chance I might do something wrong, or it might turn out badly. Sometimes there is a time limit or an urgent need to act. However, there's a huge difference between me spending even a little time in prayer and taking evaluation of a situation versus, you know, and saying, Well, I can't be 100% sure, but this seems like a reasonable move that doesn't violate the moral will of God versus saying, this situation is desperate. I have to do something, even if it's wrong. No, I don't. I never have to do the wrong thing. I may make a mistake, but I never have to choose to do the wrong thing because I'm in a hurry. Peter may not realize that Jesus wants him and the others to escape, but Peter does know You shall not kill is the will of God. In the book of Nehemiah, the king sees Nehemiah sad and asks, Why do you look so sad? The text says that Nehemiah prayed and then answered the king. That couldn't have been a long prayer. When the king asks a question, you answer quickly. But Nehemiah had been thinking about and probably praying about the fallen walls of Jerusalem long before he ever walked into the presence of the king. Praying doesn't end with the prayer. 
prayer is a response to what I see and God opening my eyes to see his perspective on what I see so that then I can see what my next actions are. Sometimes the next actions are totally God's, such as Jesus going to sacrifice himself or Jesus healing someone. And sometimes prayer leaves me to a specific action. Either way, it ends up with God telling me, get up. One of the dishes I like to cook is asparagus chicken. And I don't have the recipe memorized, but I have it in a book. So if I'm going to cook it, first I have to want it. And then next I have to look up and read the recipe. Then I go shopping, prepare, cook. And, you know, if I want the result of eating, eventually I have to do more than just the mental preparation. And maybe I ask for help because, you know, my wife also likes asparagus chicken. So maybe she'll go shopping. Maybe my friend Steve says, I'll take you out to a restaurant that makes asparagus chicken. And that would be a great blessing for me too. But regardless of the help or options I may see, I still have to get up to go eat. Let's finish off the story. Matthew 26, 52 through 56. Then Jesus told him, put your sword back in its place because all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will provide me here and now with more than 12 legions of angels? How then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I used to sit teaching in the temple and you didn't arrest me. But all this happened so that the writings of the prophets would be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him. And ran away. To prepare for the fight, I watch instead of sleep, observe instead of react, and I lead instead of flee. Jesus tells Peter that his actions will lead to his death. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword. So stop. If Jesus wanted or needed protection, he could get way better protection than Peter could provide. This is a spiritual battle. So if Jesus called for it, he could have all the spiritual protection he needed and more. More than 12 legions of angels. A full Roman legion had four to 6,000 men. But legions, human legions, are not always full. Palestine in the first century had four legions made up of 14 infantry cohorts and five cavalry LA. The Roman infantry cohort is 420 men and the cavalry LA is 500. So in all of Palestine, with a little over half on horseback, the Romans had about 8,380 soldiers. And Jesus says his army is over 72,000. Based on that number, I just wonder, how many angels did the shepherds actually see the night Jesus was born? Probably tens of thousands. Jesus' soldiers are not just more powerful, they've got the Romans outnumbered 9 to 1. Jesus isn't there to fight people. Jesus is there to save people. He's going to fulfill all the scriptures by his life and his death. And the people who want him dead couldn't take him before it was time, even though he was in the temple every day right in front of them in the open teaching. Peter probably understands that Jesus is prepared to die. What he doesn't understand is that Jesus needs to die so that Peter can live. So Peter and all the disciples run away. Jesus had prayed to be prepared to sacrifice his life. 
Peter should have prayed to be prepared to let Jesus sacrifice his life, to lead the other disciples to safety, and then testify about what was happening. Peter not only seems to scatter with the other disciples, and we'll study next how how Peter denies Jesus instead of witnessing about Jesus. But let's look at the scene from a military perspective. Jesus wants the disciples to retreat. Instead, they fight a little and then flee. There's a difference between retreating and abandoning your post. Retreat is tactical. Retreat is given as an order by the commander to save lives and regroup. Abandoning my post is an individual decision. It's disorganized, and it means I'm leaving my comrades exposed to capture or death. Retreat moves my group away from the enemy. Abandoning lets the enemy in. See, Jesus is most concerned that I live and how I live, not who I kill, not who I hurt, nor even how I die. See, I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't care for victims, but he doesn't want the victims he cares for to be my victims. Taking time out from preparing to die and being arrested and protecting his disciples, Luke 22:51 tells us that Jesus took the time to heal the ear of one of the people that was trying to arrest him. Jesus is leading instead of fleeing. Culturally, I think we consider it more a virtue to die with nobility than to live in righteousness. And that's not following Jesus. Jesus didn't just die for a noble cause. He lived and died for a righteous and sacrificial cause. If I've spent time in prayer and observed the situation, I can ask myself some questions before I act. Am I running away from a situation or running toward a solution? Am I acting selfishly or am I obeying God? Am I hurting people or healing people? Am I prepared to fight the right fight? To prepare for the fight, I watch instead of sleep, observe instead of react, and lead instead of flee. Now, some people do like to work by just jumping in and trying. And sometimes that produces unique and unexpected results. But great things nearly always require preparation. It starts with a dream, a vision, or desire, and then we move to planning, next resourcing, and then finally execution. This doesn't mean actions can't be done quickly, though. With COVID-19, I think we've experienced both knee-jerk reactions and thoughtful but speedy actions. Like Peter, none of us are perfect. I'm an ordinary person following Jesus. But great people are ordinary people who follow Jesus. I just need to make sure I'm following where he's leading. I'm going to pray today from Psalm 118, a song foretelling the triumphal entry of King Jesus and a prayer that we may follow in his success. Open the gates of righteousness for me, and I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the Lord's gate. The righteous will enter through it. I will give thanks to you because you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord. It is wondrous in our sight. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. Amen. If you want to learn more about the fight Jesus calls his followers to fight, I invite you to check out Living Stones. 
the discipleship pathway of Heartwood Church. Both the evangelism and accountability stones address how to become part of a disciple-making community. I leave you with this blessing. Now may the Lord remember us and bless us, for he blesses all those who fear the Lord, both small and great alike.